Welcome back to What the Bump. In this episode, we have Brandy coming on the podcast to share her birth story. Brandy shares about how her husband actually suffered a traumatic brain injury when she found out she was pregnant. She shares her journey with gestational diabetes, changing practitioners halfway through her pregnancy, and then Brandy shares her 27-hour labor with us. And postpartum, she shares about how she had a postpartum hemorrhage and had some baby blues. So let's jump into Brandy's birth story. Hello and welcome to What the Bump. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse and a certified labor doula who is expecting my first baby this September. This podcast is created to inform and empower every woman on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me here every Monday at 9 a.m. as we dive into all things prenatal, birth, postpartum, and so much more. So let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to another episode of What the Bump. Today we have Brandy coming on the podcast to share her birth story. So thank you for being willing to share your story with us today. Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me. So starting off, Brandy, just tell me a little bit about how you met your partner, a little bit about yourself and about your family. All right. So I am 29 years old, I'm actually coming up on 30 on Friday. <laughs> Ooh, happy um, birthday. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, my husband's name is Junior, and we actually met in high school. I am native to Charlotte, um, so we went to East Mecklenburg together, and um, we dated in high school, had a little separation. We went, kind of did our own thing when I went to college. We were um, separated, and we got back together and um, kind of like eloped within the first year of being together, so we were 21 when we got married. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so about eight and a half years together now. And, um, we had our first son, Noah, um, last year in April of 2020. Um, my husband's actually from Brazil. Um, so we actually speak Portuguese to our son. Uh, so bilingual family. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and Noah is just a total boy. He is a daddy's boy. Um, mm -hmm. he loves to be outside. We have two dogs that are basically his best friends. Um, and right now he's really into Mickey Mouse and airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So did you speech, you, or speak, you said um, Portuguese? Yeah. Portuguese. Did you speak so, that before you met your husband or did you learn after you had met him? No, no. Um, I've taken a few classes um, after we got married, actually before our son was born, just to become more fluent. But we've traveled there um, about four times together and his family speaks Portuguese when they're together in their house and stuff like that. So just being around, you know, I've known him since I was 16 years old. So half my life. That's awesome. Yeah. And then, so, oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry. I said, we are expecting, I didn't want to forget our second son, um, in December of this year. So awesome. That is so exciting. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you again. So tell me about finding out you were pregnant with your first baby. Well, that's an interesting story. Mm -hmm. um, so we decided to start trying um, early in 2019. So um, a couple of things before that, I was on birth control for quite a while, about nine years. Um, I had had two surgeries uh, previous to that um, when I was 19 and 20 on my left ovary. So I actually only have a right ovary. So I was a little bit worried. Um, I would have, you know, a little bit of trouble. We wanted to give it some time. Um, we were super blessed. It, it didn't take much time. It took us about three months to get pregnant. Um, so once I got pregnant, I, I didn't know. Um, we were on a beach trip in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And 
my husband was actually involved in an accident. Um, so he was uh, admitted to the ICU with a TBI or a traumatic brain injury. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so a little emotional there. Um, yes, definitely. Rightfully so. <laughs> found out I was pregnant actually when he was in the hospital. Oh my goodness. So I think it was around his 12th or 13th day in the ICU. Oh, wow. So I actually found out with my mom um, at a restaurant bathroom. Mm. How romantic, right? Right. Um, And I didn't end up telling him until about a week later, just because of his state. Right. Um, But he is 100% healed. Um, No residual. If you met him today, you would never know. Um, what a miracle. They're super lucky there. Yes. <laughs> so I was like super scared. You know, I hadn't been eating and I lost weight. Um, so I started taking some gummy vitamins, you know, called my doctor. I wasn't even in Charlotte. So I kind of had to like make all those appointments, but luckily everything came together. Um, and now we have, you know, our healthy, healthy Noah. So Thank you, Jesus, for both of my babies. <laughs> yes. Wow. That is quite the story to just even finding out you were pregnant. I, that's, I mean, what a miracle. That's amazing that your husband, you know, through, through all of that came out and like you said, is hundred percent healed. No residuals. That truly is a miracle and such a blessing. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know, like you kind of think in that moment, like, do I have to choose which one to pray for the baby or my husband, you know, yeah. and you pray for them both is a blessing. <laughs> yeah. So yes. Well, that, that truly, that's amazing. That's amazing. Start to your story, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. So taking me through your pregnancy, I mean, what was that like? Um, How were you feeling throughout your pregnancy? Um, Actually? Well, the first trimester for me was pretty easy. Um, I was pretty focused on my husband's recovery. Right. Obviously. So I don't really, I can't say I had any complaints. Um, I remember my husband was like, why are you eating so much food when we were like in the hospital? And he was like, it's disgusting. And I was like, I don't know. I'm just hungry. (laughs) Um, before he kind of knew. Um, so I didn't have any symptoms in the first trimester. I was really, really good. Um, you know, started gaining weight, things like that. And the only thing that really threw out my whole pregnancy was I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes around 28 weeks, which was kind of a complete shock. Um, I think it's one of those things. I am actually a registered nurse. I don't work in um, labor and delivery or anything like that, but you don't think about that um, or know the risk or even you think, oh, if you have gestational diabetes, well, you're not big, well, you're active. Um, So that was like the whole learning curve for me. Right, right. Definitely. And just backtracking, um, you know, I know you said that you waited a week to tell your husband, um, when you had found out you were pregnant, but what Mm -hmm. was, you know, when you told him, were you guys still in the hospital, in the ICU and everything, what was that kind of like telling him? Um, we were actually, we had been transferred, um, back to Charlotte, Mm -hmm. um, and we were in the inpatient rehab here in, in Charlotte, which was a complete blessing. Um, he was, he had a, um, a left frontal injury, which is a lot of like social, um, behavioral language, things like that. So he had a lot of, um, speech issues coming out. Okay. So I actually told him, um, like in one of his like therapy sessions and his reaction was just completely like, 
you know, he was your typical like 28 year old in the hospital who wants to go home and yes. thinks nothing's wrong with him. So Aww. he was like, see, I have a son on the way. Like he knew he was like, I have a baby. Um, I need to go home and work now. Can you guys just let me out of here? Yeah. So um, I didn't actually end up telling him when he was still in the ICU. I just, I didn't know how that would, um, I guess, play out. And he would just really, really want to leave then. So I kind of waited until he's a little bit more stable um, and all worked out well. I just didn't know if he would be like in total shock. <laughs> right, right. That's awesome. And so now jumping back forward, that just popped in my head and I just had to ask, um, jumping back forward to the gestational diabetes. So, um, like you said, you know, being a nurse and everything, it was just something that you weren't exactly expecting. How did you, how did you manage that? Um, were you able to kind of control it with your diet? Were there things that you changed? What did you do going to like, how did you go about that? I guess. Yes. Um, so, you know, like I said, even as a nurse, like it is a whole learning curve when you are diagnosed with anything. Um, but, uh, I actually ended up doing no medication, which, um, was really a struggle. Uh, I don't want to say that was easy. That was, that was super hard. Um, I'll get to what I think was the hardest thing later, but, um, gestational diabetes is definitely up there, especially managing without medication. Um, so I was one of those who walked for 15 minutes after I ate, I really had to watch what kind of carbs I had, how many I had. Um, and one of the things that I really recommend to a lot of people is, um, it's called real food for gestational diabetes. It's by a registered dietitian, Lily Nichols. I don't know if you've heard of it, but that book just like really helped me from a mindset and an understanding of how I could manage diabetes. So, um, I'm already checking my blood sugars with, with my second child and I hope to be the same way. So, so far, so good. <laughs> yes. Yes. I have heard of that book and I have heard of a lot of people. I mean, even if you don't have gestational diabetes, I've heard that it can just be like a good book in general for just kind of like yeah. eating, you know, while being pregnant. Yeah. She has another one. It's called real food for pregnancy. Yes. So that's the one. Care. Yeah. So much about the gestational diabetes world. I think they're both like super great reads. Um, just specifically that one helped me so much with understanding gestational diabetes. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, just around the topic of gestational diabetes, something that gets confused a lot is like you hear about diabetes and most people think of type two diabetes, of course, which right. is the one that you are not born with type one, you're born with type two, you are not born with. And most of the time, you know, obviously not always, but type two diabetes is normally caused from, you know, maybe a diet that isn't as healthy, um, or maybe a more sedentary lifestyle being overweight, obviously other health conditions can put you at an increased risk for type two diabetes. So I feel like people hear gestational diabetes and they think like, oh, so it's, you know, I think the, the biggest thing people jump to is thinking that like, oh, it's because you're pregnant and you're not taking care of yourself. You're not eating a good diet. You're being sedentary. And that's not the case at all. Right. And I think like sometimes those things like obviously play a factor later, but like just understanding, I think that was a super frustration, you know, being a healthy person for most of my life, I've never really been overweight or struggled. I've always been super, you know, active and played right. sports my whole life. So I think that was like, just almost having to educate other people after yes. the diagnosis and then being like, I still don't understand how you have diabetes. Yes. You know? Yeah. Cause it's, it's normally a, more of a, a placenta issue. Right. Exactly. With so your placenta I, kind so of regular placenta more so is struggling to regulate. Um, yeah. 
more so than, than you're eating too unhealthy or you're not moving enough. Cause you can eat, you know, the most clean diet ever. And you can exercise every day of your pregnancy and you can gain five pounds throughout your whole pregnancy. And you can still have gestational diabetes. Cause that's not, yeah. that's not what causes it. So I do like how you said, you know, the book helped you understand it because I think gestational diabetes is extremely misunderstood. I think that, and it's just like, it's so stressful. Like you have sometimes these outside factors in pregnancy and um, pregnancy is like one of those things people, I, I think are so quick to like, um, not judge, but you know, put their opinion on things and they're like, oh yeah, I had a friend, you'll be fine. Or, um, just, just eat healthier, you know? And so those things affect you, um, especially when you're already emotional or hormonal. Um, and it's just not that that easy. So, um, totally here to support anyone with gestational diabetes. Yes. I love that. So any other kind of, you know, besides the gestational diabetes, any other things that stuck out throughout your pregnancy, um, you know, whether highs or lows? Um, no, I think, um, I always wanted a boy. (laughs) I wanted to be a boy mom. Um, I think, yeah, like finding out I was super emotional about like gender, you know, I was like, I didn't want to have a big gender reveal. Um, this was pre-COVID, actually. He was born in COVID times, but um, all of our, you know, most of my pregnancy up until about February was um, free of restrictions. So I didn't have a big gender reveal. I was like super private about it. Me and Junior actually just went to a nice restaurant and had someone make us a cake and celebrated ourselves awesome. <laughs> and kind of told our family after, um, which we did with our second son as well. Um, but other than that, no, I think I was super lucky with, with my pregnancy. Yeah. That's amazing. So tell me then going into birth, did you have any like birth preferences, birth wishes, um, any like vision that you had for your birth? Well, I had not thought really much about, um, labor or my birth, or, um, I think it kind of hit me like a ton of rocks, like, after the first trimester and junior was finally, you know, he was on solid ground and I was starting to like show and I was like, wait a minute, I'm going to have to birth this baby. Like, <laughs> You're like, crap, this thing's got to come <laughs> out. <laughs> my body. Like what, what am I doing here? I, you know, um, so I started to really like me and junior talked about it and him being from, um, another culture, you know, that's always like an influence in our life. And he's actually one of four kids and his mom has had three of them naturally. So her experience was just with her fourth, which is the one that she did get an epidural. That was like her hardest recovery, really. Um, she totally was like, I think you can do it natural. Whereas I am American. <laughs> um, my mom was like, you're crazy. You don't know what you're getting into. So we really sat down and talked together and I told him, you know, I really want to look into my options. I started reading, you know, research and books and um, someone suggested in a maze guide to childbirth. So if you've ever read that book, I'm sure you as doula has, but um, it's a really great read. And it kind of just made me feel like this was what I wanted to do as a woman. So made my little birth plan. My doctor at the time did not have midwives. So kind of like searched the area. I actually ended up changing doctors 
um, right around maybe 22 to 24 weeks, which is pretty late. <laughs> mm -hmm. They were a little reluctant to take me, um, but I just told them, you know, I really wanted midwife care. Um, they're just more natural focused and I wanted to deliver at the hospital where they delivered at, which is pretty good with um, like all natural deliveries. So um, I also did some research and uh, I currently go to the chiropractor um, and he has a acupressurist who works there as well, who's actually a doula. Um, so we kind of connected um, and her name is Raquel Dills um, and she's here in Charlotte and she works with, her company is called Sunflower Within. Um, and so I started seeing her for, you know, some prenatal classes, things like that. Um, and that's kind of how we went. <laughs> so that was my birth plan. All right. So what would you, you know, cause I feel like, um, people don't talk a lot about changing doctors, especially, you know, like you said, you got a little bit of resistance cause you were changing after like that 20 week mark. So yeah. You know, and I know you said your biggest reason for wanting to change was more so wanting like that mid midwifery center of care. What mm -hmm. advice would you give for somebody who was, was kind of thinking about changing doctors, but almost maybe like nervous to pull the trigger or, um, didn't know exactly how to go about it. Like, how did you go about that? Yeah, I think, um, just kind of like, I think, first of all, I asked around, um, just people, um, I have a friend who's done everything from home births to, hospital while well, she started hospital and she, you know she had her last two at home um so she was like just a really good resource and um just saying kind of like advocating for yourself like if one doctor tells you no like there are options like keep going and keep you know they want to know why you want to switch it's not that you're like unhappy with the care or if you are that's important too um, but kind of like your reasoning why and just do your research and most doctor's offices with midwives, I feel like they understand that aspect. Right. Yeah. I think it's important that people are always empowered and, um, you know, like you said, ready to ad advocate for themselves because you have to remember like, <laughs> you know, that doctor is actually working for you. And I think that's a mindset yeah. that a lot of people do not have when they're you know, getting medical care, it's almost like they have to do whatever their doctor says, and they have to listen to their doctor and, and they don't have a choice. And it's actually the opposite. Like, and that's a huge thing that, you know, I think needs to be changed in America is remembering like you choose to go to that doctor. Like you can fire that doctor very quickly. You can go see somebody else. Like if y'all don't click, or like you said, your doctor tells you no to something that you really want, or isn't willing to listen to you, or, you know, it's just not aligning. Like they they're hiring, you're hiring them. Right. And I think, um, that's another point that like I'll kind of bring up um leading up to uh, my delivery I was as we said I had gestational diabetes which automatically puts you in this like high risk category right like every doctor or midwife is kind of just watching you a little bit more closely they want you to be monitored more and they really push induction which was like totally off the table for me I was like nope don't want it don't need it like, right. I'm not convinced, like, show me why. And I was, you know, I was controlled with diet. So there's really nothing that I was reading or researching that I felt compelled to want to be induced. Um, so I actually went pretty late, but I had a doctor at 37 weeks tell me, and it was with my new practice that had midwives and, you know, all the natural things, but 
he's like so what are we doing to get your baby out and I'm like well nothing really I'm 37 weeks like (laughs) I got time right and he's like not really um you have gestational diabetes so I'd like you to do everything you can daily you know to to start getting him ready (laughs) um and I was like okay is there you know a reason for that I, I didn't feel any sense of alarm before this and he was like yeah um you have gestational diabetes and if you let him stay there too long he's going to be 10 pounds and you're going to have a c-section uh, and I was like did you read my chart because you know I don't want any any intervention <laughs> at all so for you to come in here and tell me I'm going to have a c-section and I'm 37 weeks pregnant and crying by now it's not nice. And I refuse to see him again, mm. like even now. So just advocate for yourself because that didn't end up happening, you know, like thank right. God. And I followed myself and my instincts. Um, so yeah, I think it's super important to advocate for yourself. Yes. Yes. I, I completely agree. And, you know, obviously a doctor saying that to you, like it was set in stone and this is how it was going to be is not a doctor that you'd want to work with. I mean, not when your, your birth, your birth vision is something completely different. Mm-hmm. So then getting towards the end of your pregnancy, tell me about going into labor. First of all, did you do like any labor prep? I know you mentioned that that doctor said, you know, I want you doing everything you can every day. Um, did you do any labor prep? And then how did you go into labor? So I did. Um, and I didn't really start until about that 39 weeks. I was pretty comfortable with him until then I was working. Um, it was kind of COVID. We didn't really know what was happening. Um, my due date was April the 7th, um, of 2020. So right when everything started to kind of like really get stressful and, um, you know, all the mandates were coming and things like that. So I was kind of in this weird place where I like, didn't want him to be out, even though like I needed to work on him coming out. (laughs) Like, so I kind of waited until around 39 weeks. And then before that though, I was doing like the red raspberry leaf tea, um, daily. And I did as much as I could handle them dates. Um, I would have to like space them out. So my blood sugars weren't too high. Um, we were having very interesting, um, positions in the bed uh all the things I was exercising I was curb walking um I ate you know Charlotte has like this famous pizza called the inducer yes didn't do anything for me I don't think it really Um, does for anybody but I'm eating it next week anyway (laughs) yes it's part of the journey right it is um so I did I feel like all the things you can do almost except um I refuse the what is the oil that you drink? Castor um, oil. And I'm glad you didn't. Yeah, I didn't want to go there. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, I think I've probably checked every box on the list. Um, and actually my doula, who I mentioned was an acupressurist. So at 40 weeks, um, well, at 39 weeks, they wanted to schedule me for induction at, on my due date. And I was like, yeah, we'll talk closer to the day. I don't want to schedule anything <laughs> right now. So at my 40 week appointment, I went into the doctor's office and I was one centimeter dilated, which if you've ever had a baby before, you know, that doesn't really mean anything. I hadn't gotten checked before that. So I let him do a sweep, like a membrane sweep, yep. um, which for me was not painful. 
Um, I didn't feel like too uncomfortable, kind of practice my breathing. No magic happened afterwards. So um, I actually went to Raquel and she does something called natural induction um, through acupressure, which is um, kind of like when you hear when people go and get pedicures and they go into labor. Um, it's because of the massage that they get on their feet. There's like, um, I guess you can release, you know, chemicals that put you into labor. So she actually did a natural induction on me and it took three of them hmm. over the next week. So um, not the funnest thing, but definitely worked, I think, because that third time it was actually Easter Sunday and I started having contractions when I was driving home. Um, and I knew what they were like automatically. It felt different. I never had Braxton Hicks. So I was like, this is it. These are contractions. I am 40 weeks and five days. Like, let's get this started. So I went home and I, I started walking and I refused to sit down. I was like, nope, I do not want to be induced because they were officially inducing me on 41 weeks. And I was like, no, we're going to get this baby out. Looking back, that was probably a big mistake <laughs> um, because then I started my 27 hour labor oh, yeah. um, and I was, I was pretty exhausted by the end, but um, it definitely helped to uh, keep moving when I had first went into labor. So that's kind of how it happened. All right. So take me through your labor then. I know you said it was 27 hours, um, <laughs> but you know, what was it like? What did you do? How did you progress? Tell us what happened. So, um, like I said, driving home, it's probably about three o'clock on Easter Sunday, which lucky for me, we didn't have any family plans. Um, I was totally isolated at that point. Um, so it was just me and my husband. Um, when I got home, I started walking. Um, I had a pregnancy or birth ball um, that I was kind of like bouncing on and kind of trying to do some squatting around the house as much as you can at, you know, almost 41 weeks. Um, and my mom had came over. Um, and so about four hours in, they started to kind of regulate. I automatically started using like a tracking app to see like my timing. Um, and she was like, okay, I think it's time for me to like come over. Seems like you really are in true labor. Like, you know, I'm going to come over and kind of set up my stuff. So when she gets over, as I had said earlier, <laughs> my mom was not a big fan of me going the natural route. She was kind of like, you're on your own. I have no experience. Give me all the meds. You have fun with this. Right. So she kind of got a little freaked out whenever she started like hanging sheets on the door for me to like <laughs> pull on and she's setting up like essential oils and all these things. <laughs> and my mom was like, all right, I got to go. <laughs> like, this is not my thing. I am not feeling the vibe. You and Junior be here and be in your mindset. <laughs> Um, so she came over and um, there was actually a pretty good amount of time where I was really just at a steady pace. Um, I was breathing okay. I wasn't really too uncomfortable. Um, I think I was just stressed more than anything, you know, like, mm -hmm. oh my God, this is really happening. Like, and Junior, my husband was really good. We had taken like a natural birth class um so he was like all prepped in the positions and you know supporting me and he's like just breathe you need to calm down like 
you have this because I did go through a time maybe like four or five hours in where I was like I don't know if I can do this like this is really real now and like I'm starting to feel the pain and like I don't know if this birth plan is gonna work let's just go to the hospital you know and um so we made it through the night um and as my contractions got more intense I kind of got this fear of the toilet, which sounds really weird, <laughs> um, but I could no longer sit on the toilet um, for anything to pee or to sit or to whatever I wanted to do. Um, and so we tried the bathtub, which I personally felt like a beached whale. I did not enjoy the bathtub. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> some people think it's great. For me, the only things that really helped um, were a heating pad and um like a hot shower so I I really just enjoyed like standing um and kind of like squatting a little bit more than I enjoyed laying down um the reasoning for that I found out was that Noah actually was um OP I forget the meaning of that's like occipital posterior but yeah occipital posterior so sunny setup mm -hmm. Yeah. So basically his head was down, but his face was turned forward. So he wasn't really able to move. Um, so most of my pain was in my hips. Um, and so really the only, the only real pain relief I got was like manual hip counter pressure from either my doula or my husband. <laughs> so they were pretty exhausted too, because I wasn't laying down and every five minutes, it was like, I mean, they were shaking that they were pushing so hard, but that was like really the only thing that helped like right. for me personally. So um, fast forward to the morning after that. So it is now Monday morning and um, it was probably around four o'clock in the morning. Um, I lost my mucus plug and I still, my water hadn't um, broke. Um, I was still pretty regular. My contractions hadn't sped up or anything like that, but Raquel was like, all right, um, you have this weird fear of the toilet. You're not really peeing and your mucus plug is gone. So let's just go ahead and head to the hospital. You know, it's been about at that point around 12 to 13 hours. Um, so we're getting ready to head out and there was a big storm that night. <laughs> Um, so the storm actually got worse and we had about a 20, 25 minute drive on the highway to get to the hospital. So we were like, our lights kind of started flickering, <laughs> of course. Okay. So we're like, all right, let's wait it out just a little while. It kind of seems really bad outside right now. So we waited about an hour and finally we got in the car. My husband's driving like 90 on the highway <laughs> and, um, that was probably the most uncomfortable ride. Um, just wanting to be there and having to sit and like not being able to change positions when I'm having a contraction. Um, so I finally get there and um, I am six centimeters dilated. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus, because <laughs> I had another breakdown in the car and I told my husband, I said, if I am not at least halfway, I think I might get an epidural. And he's like, no you got this. I think you're halfway. <laughs> like, awesome. don't worry. So that was like a huge relief for me to be like, okay, I'm six centimeters. I think I cried. Like I was like, that's amazing. Okay, good. And, um, my blood pressure was really high. 
Um, so they were a little bit worried about preeclampsia. Um, and of course they wanted a urine sample, which still couldn't pee. So uh, I ended up having to get cast, which was totally fine. Felt amazing. My blood pressure automatically went down. Um, and so after that, they kind of knew my birth plan. There was a midwife on, um, got me into a room. The nurse was like super on my side, like understood. She's like, you know, you, they do want you to have an IV because your blood pressure was so high, just like in case of an emergency, but you don't have to be hooked up to anything. We can like intermittently monitor you. Um, I was super worried about my diabetes. So I had like packed like sugar-free snacks, which of course they have in the hospital, but you know, like hard candy and things like that. Right. Um, just in case I personally didn't end up eating really anything. I think I took some sips of like Gatorade Zero just to like keep my energy up, but I wasn't interested in eating. <laughs> um, and so it was about 6.30 when we got to the hospital and um, I got in the bathtub there, you know, did lots of things. This was also, like I said, going back to COVID in April and my doula wasn't allowed to come. So it was actually just me and my husband. They had visitor restrictions in place um, and we weren't really, I guess, encouraged to go outside of the room. We could if we wore a mask, but you know, we just didn't really want to. So I was kind of limited to that space, which was fine. Um, just a lot of adapting, I guess, which with any birth plan, there's going to be snags, right? Right. Um, and so the midwife came in probably about 11 and was like, well, you're still at se seven centimeters. So at this point, you know, I had been in labor, I guess a total of like, I don't know, six, I guess that was kind of like 16 hours because that, um, so she was like, by this point, you know, I think some intervention might be warranted because you're not progressing and you're having regular contractions, but I don't want you to like wear out, especially for the fact that you're not able to like lay down or rest at all. Um, and I don't really want you to just like lose all your energy, you know, um, and so she had asked me if it was okay to break my water, which for me, that was fine. Like that wasn't this big no in my birth plan. Um, for me, that was like very minimal intervention. So I was like, sure, you know, go ahead. I'm fine with that. And so she did. Um, and no, really, that wasn't painful for me. It was no increase really in contraction. Um, some people say like, when they break your water, all of a sudden, like you feel so much more intense, but for me, that just wasn't the case. So fast forward to about four hours later, I was still at seven centimeters. I had been in labor for around 24 hours then. Um, and my midwife was, you know, she's a little concerned. And so um, she had offered, well, not offered, but told me, you know, the next plan is Pitocin because you are, you know, in labor, but your body is not progressing. And that was like a hard stop for me, like break my water, do all those other things. But like, I don't want any, but Tosin was like the big, you know, it's like the big P word, like you don't right. want it. So especially when you're trying to avoid an epidural. Um, so that was kind of like 
really emotional for me. <laughs> um, and it took me about an hour to finally like agree to it. Like the nurse came in and she's like, it's going to be okay. Like, this is why we're doing it. Like, she's not rushing you and you know, blah, blah, blah. And actually, you know, I was in contact with my doula and I actually had reached out to like the instructor for my birthing class. <laughs> um, she's a nurse. And I was just like, I remember we had like a whole session on Pitocin and if it gets there and I reached out to her and she's like, no, I totally understand the situation. Like it's really up to you, but I don't think it's going to like totally make you get an epidural. Like you got this and here's some, you know, advice, some breathing, some affirmations. And so I decided to get the Pitocin, <laughs> um, but I was super, super tired. And um, I said, can I get laughing gas or nitrous oxide? Cause that was like really what I wanted for pain medicine um, as like a first, you know, defense if I was starting to get to that point. Um, and they were like, well, due to COVID, yeah. again, we are not offering that currently um, because it's aerosolizing. Um, so that was just like, okay, great. What are my options? Um, so they basically told me that I could get new bane or an epidural or just kind of like tough it out. So I decided to go with new bane. Um, that was something that I had kind of like done some research on it wasn't really in my my toolkit because you know I had other things in my toolkit but um kind of just had to adjust and looking back like I'm so glad that I did like it it definitely gave me that moment of of rest you know what I mean yes um and so the nurse explained it to me and she's like listen I'm, if you're gonna get the new vein get it now because it is gonna wear off in about an hour um, you're gonna feel drowsy, but you're still gonna feel every contraction. And I was like, hmm, that sounds weird. I don't believe you, but I'll probably be knocked out. <laughs> um, and so I got it and she was right. It was this really weird thing where between contractions, I was able to like, not so comfortably, but lay down with the peanut ball and kind of like close my eyes for like three to five minutes at a time. Yeah. And then every time I would have a contraction, it was like, okay, I'm awake. Like I'm feeling it. Junior come over here and do the, you know, hip squeezes. And so that was just kind of like how it went for an hour. Um, and then after about an hour and an hour and a half of the Pitocin, I was at nine. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So I was like, kind of glad, like, I was like, maybe I should have done this earlier, you know, like, okay, we're moving along finally, you know, and um, once I hit nine and like the new vein kind of wore off, I kind of like felt this like weird sense of like renewal, like I had rested so much, even though it was only like an hour. And I really got in that, that headspace of like hypnobirthing um, that I had like done so many classes and listened to podcasts about. Um, and for me, I just kind of felt like with every contraction, like I kind of imagined myself in the ocean, um, kind of like the waves and um, was really able to like focus on breathing and like kind of just had that mindset. Like, I think I was just over exhausted before. So, um, you know, looking back, I definitely think 
all the decisions that led up to that were were ones that I agree with now and definitely like helped me along the way. Yeah, definitely. um, I think Pitocin like is something that people, I mean, I get it. Like, you know, you want to avoid the Pitocin, especially just because it's just like the cascade of medical intervention. I feel like mm -hmm. that. Um, but you know, when you're, when you're at the end, sometimes that little nudge, that little like strength, um, as far as getting your contractions a little bit stronger can definitely be beneficial. Yeah. I think, um, I just had so much like no Pitocin train. Like, yes, I know that's to like, say this is going to be okay and even my husband like was like no we don't want that like he knew like the word Pitocin specifically like it wasn't like what is that what are you giving to her like all the things that we had done leading up to that day like he was prepared for like no (laughs) we don't want it so um, I think Pitocin gets it gets a bad rap because it's overused and misunderstood Um, Mm -hmm. but as a labor and delivery nurse, it is totally necessary in a lot of situations and, and definitely can just give you that, but it does make contractions usually more painful, which is why, especially when you're on Medicaid, you're like, uh, -uh, keep it away from me. Yeah. And I think that was like, like when I was like, all right, if I have to have Pitocin, like laughing gas is what I want. And I was already at that point before Pitocin where I was like, okay, I'm really tired. Like I'm doing all the breathing and the heating and the the moving as much as I can, but like, I need something right now. That's going to give me some kind of like rest. I mean, I've literally been on my feet for 24, more than 24 hours because even the morning before that I had, you know, taken my walk and all those things. So, um, looking back, you know, I think that is something that it's just focused on so much and, Sometimes there does need to be, I think, some education about why Pitocin might be acceptable or why you might need it. Not that it's just um, an intervention, like you said, kind of like the cascade. Right, right. All right. So you were, you said you, after that, you were at about nine centimeters, right? Yep. So I was right about nine centimeters. (laughs) Um, Feeling in my groove. Um, I was actually on my knees, like on the back of the bed, like kind of gripping the bed, um, and just kind of like rocking, you know, like I said, I was kind of picturing the ocean. I don't know if that's because I really love the beach or that (laughs) I don't, I don't really know why I chose the the ocean, but, um, kind of just like rocking. And I knew when a contraction was coming and I was, you know, doing my breathing, um, junior was still kind of doing some manual pressure, but not as much, um, at that point. And, all of a sudden it just felt different. Like I was like, my body started tightening. <laughs> like I was like, go get the nurse. Like something's, something's wrong. And this is so embarrassing, but this is a labor and delivery podcast. But I told him, I said, I either have to poop or I'm pushing. <laughs> like that is literally how it feels. <laughs> yes. Um, and so, you know, Junior's like, I need somebody in here now. <laughs> and the nurse comes and she checks me and she's like um well you know I just checked you maybe like 30 minutes ago um I I don't think you'll be at 10 yet um but if you want me to I can check you and I'm like check me now like please I don't know what's happening but I can't hold this like I feel like I need to push um and so she checks me and she's like oh yeah um, you're a 10, so I don't want you to push, uh, I need to go and get the midwife. Um, and that kind of takes a while. I think the midwife was in another, um, birth at the moment. So I'm like, 
you know, gripping the bed every time I have a contraction, like, all right, I can't push, like, don't push. I don't, (laughs) I don't want to have this baby alone. Um, and so those like 20 minutes felt like hours, you know, just because you're restraining against something that your body is is so naturally doing. (laughs) Um, so that, that's kind of hard. Um, and so the midwife finally gets in there and, um, I did push on my knees for a little bit, um, just because that was, that was comfortable for me. Um, but I didn't know at the time that he was OP or sunny side up. I didn't really know what that meant or, um, anything like that. And the midwife kind of told me like, Hey, this baby's going to be, you know, his positioning has made it a little bit hard, um, for you to push him out. So I just, I want us to be able to help you. So I know that you're comfortable, but can you lay on your back and let's see if we can like assist you with your legs, kind of like pushing them further, things like that. So at that point I didn't care. I was like, yeah, whatever you want me to do, let's push. Um, so I ended up pushing for about 45 minutes. Um, and honestly, for me, like pushing was my favorite. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just kind of like this animal feeling of like, you just, your body knows what it's doing and you, you feel like you have these instincts, especially like, I mean, I've never had an epidural or medicated pregnancy, but when you're unmedicated, like you can feel all of those things and just like the power of your body. So, um, I think for me, pushing was, was definitely like my favorite part of labor. Um, the ring of fire, however, is real. If you've ever read um, and that was not my favorite part, but super fast. Um, the midwife warned me. She's like, yep, he's crowning. That's the ring of fire. That's that thing you've read about. Just keep breathing. You'll get past this point. You can't get an epidural now anyways. Um, so other than the ring of fire, like I feel like those moments between like nine centimeters and 10 centimeters was like really amazing for me mentally. And then pushing for me, like physically was just so like powerful. Yeah. A lot of people feel too, like the pushing is almost like relief. Cause you mm-hmm. just get to like push right into that. And, and it can be, you're like, Oh, I'm finally at the end. Like you have tunnel yeah. vision, you know, the excitement and the adrenaline kicks in. Yeah. You definitely like get the second wind of like, all right, this is what I've been waiting for. Like I planned for this, let's do it. And like, yes. you just get this like power from who knows where you know like however long your labor is and you just start pushing like when your body tells you to and of course like they're coaching you and things like that but I don't feel like I really needed so much coaching like I knew when I was having a contraction like my husband was like super involved and he was like he has hair like (laughs) I can see his forehead you know (laughs) like so he was kind of like cheering me on and um I don't know for me it just that was really like my favorite part of labor yeah that's awesome and 45 minutes for a first time mom with a sunny side up baby is amazing (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and like I said I didn't know that at the time um actually after my um birth and everything my midwife came back and she was like I just wanted to tell you like I was super concerned that you would end up in a Mm -hmm. C-section. And she was like, I didn't want to tell you that before because I didn't want you to like your mindset to go there. Um, But, you know, we did have that thought because most first time moms with an OP baby, especially, you know, 
at 41 weeks, he was eight pounds and two ounces, which is normal. Right. Um, especially for gestational diabetes. Um, so he was healthy, but you know, he didn't get stuck or, you know, anything like that. And she said, you had just been in labor for so long that I was worried that you wouldn't have the strength to push him out. And she said, I think the fact that you didn't have an epidural, like helped you in that moment because you could feel like your body do the work and, you know, help it along. Whereas other moms have to be coached a little bit more and like, all right, you are having a contraction, like let's push. And they're like, I don't, I don't feel anything, you know? Um, so yeah, that was kind of surprising for me. Like I appreciate her that she didn't tell me, (laughs) um, she made like really good judgment, at least for me, um, to kind of like keep that from me. Um, and during my labor, like when I was there, they did try to turn him. Um, I guess I didn't talk about that, but, um, they did do some of the, like, I think it's called spinning babies techniques. Um, so I had like this sheet under my belly and they like (laughs) told my husband to like rock my belly when I was having a contraction. And like, at one point they had me like turn on my side during a contraction and like have one leg over the bed. Super uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, Was definitely not my favorite part, but, um, you know, got through it he he was just comfortable where he was and did not want to turn um but he came out and he was he was fine so that's awesome and that yeah like like your midwife said I mean that's amazing for to stick through you know such a long labor completely you know without getting the epidural and having the energy to push I mean that that definitely takes a lot of strength so you should be very proud (laughs) thank you And so now let's dive into just postpartum. How was postpartum? How was like your postpartum healing journey? Well, um, let, let me start by, so he was born and he was healthy and they laid him on my chest and he was, you know, this perfect angel. (laughs) Um, but I did lose my IV when I was pushing. Um, even though, you know, I was connected to Pitocin, but was in my wrist and, um, they didn't realize that I had lost my IV. So, um, I actually hemorrhaged afterwards. Um, and usually I guess what they would do is just increase your IV Pitocin when you're like already on it. Um, which is supposed to like help you stop bleeding. And, um, so instead when they realized my IV was missing, um, I got lots of drugs in every rich way that I could possibly go. Yes. (laughs) Um, which they did stop my bleeding, thankfully. Um, but just like in that moment, like I said, I think I was just so like in this world of endorphins or whatever it was, like I had no worries. Like I knew what was going on as a nurse. Like they were like calling for a hemorrhage car in the room and they like moved my husband back, you know? And like, he was just like, what do you want me to do? Like he looked at me from across the room and I'm like, just pray. Like, just pray. (laughs) He's like, okay. And so I think I was just like, I didn't have a fear though. Like, like I said, I think birth is just so like, it's hormonal and it's chemical and uh, physical. And I just felt like completely safe in that moment, I guess, like knowing my baby was okay. Um, And then after that, I did ask to see um, 
my placenta, which not a lot of people do, but it's really cool, especially if you like medical stuff, you know, I'm a nurse. So, um, I encourage you to kind of ask, um, they were super excited to show me. They were like, yeah, here's like what we mean about three vessels. And here's like all of the different veins. And, um, so the nurse kind of spent some time like showing it to me after all the chaos, um, which was super cool for me. Um, and then, you know, just like recovery, I think for that day was, I mean, I was out of the bed within two hours. Um, you know, they got me to the bathroom and, um, I did have to have like fundal massages, which were not fun. Um, just because my, um, I guess my uterus wasn't shrinking back. Um, so I did get like manual fundal massages. Um, but other than that, like the recovery in the hospital was great. Um, breastfeeding was not easy. <laughs> I think that was one of the surprises that I had, like, I didn't really focus. I did take a class on breastfeeding, um, but they kind of teach you the positions and like what not to do or what to like, you know, kind of focus on, but there's like, you could literally like, I mean, people do it. Like they have whole careers on breastfeeding, you know, like lactation consultants. There's a real need for that because I think that was like the one thing I always tell new moms is like, if you're planning to breastfeed, do some research before, because the amount of time that you have after to like adapt to like not only a new baby, but all these other new things, um, is very limited. So, um, that was kind of a struggle for me. Um, and then also just like being in a COVID world, I think like, and the fact that like, no one really warns you about like how, much your hormones fluctuate in those first weeks after labor. <laughs> um, and I was just like, I had really bad, like, I guess, baby blues. And, um, you know, I was just like, really emotional all the time. Like, I mean, it could be like, hey, we brought you dinner and I would like cry. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think just there's a lack of like post partum care for mothers. Oh, extreme. It's huge. <laughs> yeah. So I think like just knowing like who your like team is, like your family or your friends or people, you know, even if you're not really friends, but you like have friends who have had babies or like whoever it is, um, knowing that like to reach out to them. Um, that was kind of like another, you know, learning curve and like really big point for me that like I always tell you know people that are expecting like it feels lonely <laughs> yeah for sure yeah I mean if you think about it at the end of your pregnancy you're seen every single week if not more than that and then all of a sudden this baby comes out and it's like you're kicked to the curb they're like okay we'll see you in six weeks like good luck and it's yeah. such you know being a mom especially a first-time mom is such a learning curve you've never done it before your baby's never been a baby before your baby's never breastfed right. before you've never been a mom and you've never breastfed before you know so it's so many learning curves and there's nobody yeah. designated to take care of us postpartum and um, yeah, I just, I, I think it's a huge gap and I'm, you're right. You, you have to know who you have and, um, postpartum doulas are also a great resource for sure mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. And I think, um, just another, you know, layer to mine was like, we were in like total lockdown. Yes. 
you know, going to the store for me wasn't even like, you know, some people are like, oh yeah, like my maternity leave was great. Like I had play dates and, you know, <laughs> I went and got coffee like every Friday, like we, COVID moms don't do that. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah. you know, just this era, like the past year now going on two years of like, especially new moms is like, it's just a totally different layer. Yes, it, um, it really is. You, I mean, postpartum is already so hard and yeah, lockdown and all the restrictions we have does not make it easier. Um, another, I guess thing is I had a second degree tear. Um, so I did get sutures like internal sutures. Um, but they wanted to do my visit virtually. <laughs> um, how that was supposed to work out. I don't know, but I refused. <laughs> Another thing, just like advocate for yourself because mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure everything's good. Like I just had a baby. Um, I have sutures down there. I can't see down there. Um, can you guys look? I don't really want to do a virtual visit. Um, so I, again, was kind of one of those things like, if you feel uncomfortable with something or you don't understand why, or you just, even if you understand why you don't agree with something like advocate for your care, because that was something I was like, I don't care who's on COVID lockdown. I'm coming with a mask on and you guys are going to see me like I had a baby. Yes. Um, and so, you know, just advocate for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I love that. And I feel like you've shared like so many little great bits of advice, you know, from advocating to yourself to, you know, making sure you have a tribe of people around you to support you just so much. But if you had to give like a top piece of advice for a new mom, what would it be? And you can repeat, you can totally use one of the ones you've already used, but what would you say? (laughs) Um, I mean, honestly, I think, um, oh, that's really hard. I mean, there's so much advice. I know. I, I mean, as you know, as a doula, I think having, first of all, just like knowing what your vision is, because we talk about like doula support and family support, you know, like your family doesn't always agree with you. Every doula has a different kind of, you know, vibe to them, if you will. Like some of them are like the P word is forbidden. And some of them are like, let me teach you about it. Um, So just like really getting the support early kind of envisioning your birth plan knowing what you're okay with and like feeling okay to be uncomfortable like learning and researching like I think in America we're so um like intervention friendly that like Mm -hmm. that's normal so like I got a lot of people like why why do you want a natural birth you know Mm -hmm. um what made you choose that like it, it, it just felt like, well, this is actually more natural, like, by the way, you know, so um, I think there's just, there's so much information out there, and we have social media, so just kind of know what you want, um, and advocate for yourself, and kind of see what, what kind of plan that you need to have, whether it's a doula, or it's a birthing class, or you want, you know, a C-section, I mean, 
whatever it is, like research it, feel comfortable with it and stay in your ground. Yes. I, I love that. I totally agree. And, you know, even on the topic of like finding a doula, you know, um, you just, you, you have to find a care team that just fits you and fits your personality doctor wise, mm-hmm. you know, like you changed practices and to a midwife and it's, you know, it's, it's same with doulas. It's the same with just your birth team. You really got to pick it wisely. Yeah. I think, um, you know, that, and, and like I said, just kind of harping on like your postpartum support, like, yes, it's essential. Um, it's especially in the world we live in. So I think those are my top two, just like (laughs) pre or antenatal support and, and postpartum support, you know, yes, all the support, you know, they say the cliche saying is it takes a village and it does. (laughs) Yes, like yes, that all is around. an understatement. It, it, it's like it truly is your entire world of people to really like. I mean, everything people say affects you when you're pregnant or when you're postpartum. So, um, people's you know mindsets around stuff like, you know, if your family doesn't understand or agree, gestational diabetes, unmedicated, medicated, whatever it is, like we have to be sensitive to that. Yes, for sure. Well, Brandy, thank you for sharing your time with us and your birth story with us. I really enjoyed having you on and (laughs) hearing about it. And, um, I would love for you to come back after you have this baby that you're pregnant with right now. When are you due with this one? Um, so he is due December the 2nd. Okay. So Um, another boy, December 2nd. Yeah. So right now I'm, I'm, I'm on the same train, like totally want to go unmedicated again. Um, you know, I'm out there for support. If you guys need anything, um, I don't have all the answers, but, uh, (laughs) I think that there's plenty of resources and, um, we'll pray everything goes just as well, if not better, um, with this one. Yes, of course. And where can people connect with you? If you have anywhere you want to share? Um, my Instagram is fine. Uh, I think we're friends on Instagram. My name is Brandy underscore Santana underscore. So, um, if I'll link that in the sh- yep. yep. I'll link that in the show notes too. That way, if anybody wants to find you, wants to reach out to you, you know, something about your story related with them or clicked with them, or maybe they have a question for you, they can find you. Yeah. And I would say like, just instant message me. I don't like accept a whole ton of people. So, um, that way, at least I know like, Hey, I found you on the podcast and <laughs> I just want to talk to you or whatever. I didn't re- like post a lot about my birth story there. So, um, yeah, feel free. All right. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Randy. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to another episode of What The Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at WhatTheBumpCLT. Check out our website, WhatTheBumpCLT.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.